it is good to be back with you all and good to get a chance to start the fall off. I really want to talk over the next few weeks about life in the church, what it means for a church to flourish, to thrive. And we're going to officially kind of kick off a new sermon series in a couple weeks, but all of these will kind of be building on this sense of how do we as a church thrive? What does it mean for a church to really be alive and be a place where it's undeniable that that life that Jesus talks about, that abundant life Jesus talks about, is present and active in and amongst not just us, but somehow in the DNA of the church and in the way the church is moving? How do you continue to cultivate that life? And so today I wanted to begin this off. I came across uh, the, the, these words from one pastor who had taken some time off. Uh, is actually a female pastor who was on maternity leave and so took some time away from church. And when she came back to church, she reflected on what she had missed. Because there is a, a kind of prevailing attitude these days of like, and sometimes in my cynical times, I, I get this way, especially when you're like on vacation, you're like, hey, it's kind of nice being away. It's kind of nice not having to like check in. But, but there's this idea out there like, do you really need to go to church to love Jesus? Maybe you've heard some folks, um, this is, uh, you know, like the, uh, I, I try to think of how it's often categorized, but especially with like when I was working with young people, I heard a lot of like, oh, no, no, I'm cool with Jesus. I just don't know that I want to do the church thing. I can do that, right? It's okay? It's kind of like, uh, yes, but I think you're missing something. And so this pastor reflected, and I thought this was really interesting, uh, multiple reflections, but the one that stuck out was this. She writes, imagine this. Your life is a babbling brook. Or for the men who don't want to be a babbling brook, you're like a, a rushing stream, okay? You'd be a rushing whitewater stream. Okay, you're with me. She says it twists and it turns, it bubbles, it splashes. It's beautiful, but on its own, it has just little strength. But what happens when you cross paths with another brook, another stream, and another, and another, something bigger starts to happen. Something one brook, one stream can't do on its own. Momentum happens. Power happens. Niagara Falls happens. In the same way, when, 100, when hundreds or thousands of people move together in the same God-given direction, it's powerful. That was her reflection of taking some time away from this church. The, the idea that like alone, we, we can make a difference alone, certainly. You can make a difference alone. I can make a difference alone. We can all impact the world on our own. But when we work together and bring all of this together, we become a powerful waterfall. A powerful waterfall. I want you to hang on to that imagery that you are a stream we together are a waterfall as we think about our text and as we go with the rest of the morning. Our text is 1 John 4. 1 John 4, and I was really trying to think about what does it mean to be a community of faith? And I, and I found these words from John. I found these words of him writing to, uh, in 1 John, he's writing to what he calls, our translations say friends. And I don't know if that's because we don't use this language that much, but he, he really, in the original language, is calling this my beloved. He's calling people beloved. Maybe some of you are like, I don't, 
But anyway, that's what he's saying. Like this, he loves this community of people trying to follow Jesus. He's like, beloved community of faith, come with me on this journey together. And this is what he writes in 1 John 4, 7 through 21. He says, dear friends, and this is where in the original it's, beloved, those people, I love you, my friends. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. And he kind of lays out the gospel here. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, again, beloved, you people that I love, he writes, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He starts to wrap up this thought. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And then he drops this line. Think about this line. Really hear this. This one jumped out at me as I read this. In this world, we are like Jesus. Wrap your mind around that. He's saying to the community of faith, in this world, you, you're like Jesus to the people you encounter each and every day. Whoa. You are like Jesus. He continues, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Do you, want, do you think he wants to get that point across? He kind of says that a few times in this section, like, come on, family of faith, I love you guys. Like, let's get this straight. The only reason we can love is because God loves us and everything we do should pour out of that relationship, that understanding that God made the first move towards us when we were still sinners, when we were dead in our sins, when we were unworthy, unloving, didn't care about God, He still cared about you. So guys, love because God first loved you. And then he makes it clear here, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. One scholar, as I was researching this text, writes, this text is a test. It's a test to the community of faith. 
this text forces head-on confrontation with fears that divide and separate people who exist together on the planet. And I read that and I, I thought about this, this text being a test of John writing this to this early community of believers. And there would have been extreme pressure on the early community of believers, extreme pressure from the Jews who thought they were just a crazy, wild bunch of people who were following the wrong religion and were just crazy theologically. They were heretics. They were going the wrong direction. There would have been extreme pressure from that community to say, what are you guys doing? Stop it. You know, Jesus said that he came to divide family members. And that happens in families when, when one family member says, I believe this guy Jesus is the truth, and others are going, you're crazy, he's not the one. Why are you throwing your life away? And so this text is a test. I'm saying, can you still love these people who are going to be unloving to you? Can you live the love of God? each and every day to the people in your sphere of influence, regardless of if they love you back. It's a test. It's a test. It forces head-on confrontation with fears that divide and separate people. This whole bit about, you, you can't say you love God and that you hate your brother or sister. It's like, ah, oh, can't, can we please? There's some people that we maybe don't want to like so much or that we might even use that word hate. Maybe? Uh, come on. Can we fudge a little bit? It's a test. How far are we willing to take this faith thing? In this world, we are like Jesus. Oh, do we? Really? It's a high standard. Can we live up to it? Should we try? It's difficult. In this world, you are like Jesus. This text is a test. It's a test about the fears that divide us and whether we're willing to express this love of God even to people who won't give it back to us. And I realized I started thinking about this text and thinking about what I wanted to talk about with us coming together as a people and joining our streams, our rapids, our babbling brooks and coming together and being this waterfall and realizing that if we don't address some of the junk that's happening in our world and our nation, how can we really truly embody this text? How can we do it? We could pretend that this stuff isn't out there, that doesn't exist and we're just going to do our own thing and put blinders on. And I thought for a moment, I mean, I, I thought for a moment about just ignoring some of the racial tensions that are out there again, and, and I thought, you know, I'm getting pretty tired of hearing about these things myself, I'm getting pretty tired of hearing about racism, aren't we done with that? Didn't we figure this thing out? I, I started feeling tired of reading articles on Twitter and Facebook from different sides of the, of the equation. I started feeling cynical. Maybe you felt cynical about these things, just like, oh my gosh. And, or maybe you felt uh, politicized and you've taken your side and you're firmly planted. And, and maybe, maybe, if you're honest, you've even participated in calling out whichever side is obviously wrong. And we've just come to this place where I read this thing about this text is a test about head-on confrontation with the fears that divide us. And I've read some things and seen some conversations online and been a part of conversations in real time. And we are in a fear-filled environment. It's, it's a lot of motivated by fear on every side of the equation. And all of this has potential to influence the church. And I, I just thought to myself, like, how, how do we ignore this? Should we just ignore this? Should we just ignore all this stuff? 
All of this has the potential to distract us from living out this life of love that John is talking about. Friends, love one another, for love comes from God. In this world, you are like Jesus. How do we do that if we're distracted or if we're caught up in all the madness around us? And so maybe... Like I said, you find yourself kind of tired of it, and you're like, oh, do we have to listen to this at church? I didn't come for this this morning. And what was interesting to me is I realized through a Facebook conversation amongst covenant pastors, uh, mostly our our covenant church is very diverse across the country, uh, but it's still predominantly white pastors. And there were some white pastors, and it was weird being gone while all this crazy racial tensions, things were starting to bubble up against, and it was, again, and it was weird to be gone. And some of them were asking, you know, are you, are you giving sermon time to this stuff? Are you changing your whole service to address this? What are you going to do to talk about this with your people? Talk, talk about the evils of racism, and we just got to talk about it. And, and people were like, ah, I'm not, you know, I kind of do that through the year. I don't really want to do it. Maybe I'll say a prayer about it. Uh, you know, some were like, heck yeah, we're changing the whole thing, and we're going to come guns blazing. Here we go. And something that really caught my attention when I thought myself, like, well, I'm coming off a vacation and maybe we'll just let it slide and not talk about it. And I think, you know, we've prayed about it, I think, while I was gone, and that's all nice. I was convicted by a post written by an African-American pastor, and I want to share this with you. I I got his permission to share some of his words, and I really just want you to to try to put yourself in his shoes. This, again, this is a brother or sister in Christ. This is that one where if you hate what this person says, but you say you love God. What category does that put us in, according to John? And so so when you hear his words, feel the weight of them, as I I felt the weight of them. Maybe you won't, but I felt the weight of them. He said this, again, to this group of people trying to decide what they might say or if they would say anything. He said, try to imagine you're a black pastor, and about every week, several times a week, you hear about something happening in the world that makes you afraid for the future of your family and your children. It compounds the anger, sadness, grief you've already experienced over the course of your life because of the construct of race. Now consider that whether you make it the topic of your sermon or not, you don't have the luxury to not be affected by it emotionally physically, mentally, socially, or politically. Also consider that whether it's the topic of your sermon or not, the predominantly black congregation and community you serve will be carrying that anger, sadness, fear, grief, and trauma with them to church in some way, shape, or form. Because they also don't have the luxury to ignore it. And this is where I started realizing I have the luxury to ignore it. Ouch. He says, consider that the black and Latino Christ followers in your family, congregation, and community wonder why their white Christ-following brothers and sisters are not more passionately, actively engaged with everything that happens on a daily basis to make them question the value of their lives. And consider how they can't understand why so many, hard, uh, so many white Christians still have a hard time repudiating white supremacy and still place conditional arguments on loving their neighbor. And then he just kind of dropped this last line. Then deeply contemplate your questions and let them inform how you choose to pastor in your unique context. And I don't know how you receive these words. Maybe you're angry that I'm even talking about this. Confused why we're addressing it. But I I realized in planning this sermon, and I, I, I hadn't planned on talking about any of this, but I read this thing about this text being a text and the, uh, uh, this text being a test. 
and the way that we are constantly coming up against fears that would divide us. And I, and I read this and I thought, this brother in Christ is yet another stream, another babbling brook, another brother in Christ who is saying, I'm hurting, but would, you, would we consider, would I consider joining my stream to his and making a powerful waterfall against these things that are hurting him as a person made and created in the image of God? Can I put myself in his shoes at all? Or, or is it too hard for me to do that? And it's just, again, I can say like, I guess I don't have to. I mean, I think he lives in like Michigan, and so I don't really have to interact with him. And actually, I don't even know if I've ever met this person individually, so eh, no biggie. So he's hurting. Eh, that's too bad. But I got my life to live. And I was just really struggling with this, struggling about how do we be this beloved community following Jesus, loving as Jesus loved in this world. You are to be like Jesus, but ignoring somebody who's saying, I'm hurting, we're hurting, can you help us out? I was really struggling with that. And again, these words from John just cut to the heart. Whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. It's kind of black and white there. Like, hey, you can't say, eh, too bad, I disagree with you, I don't like you, I just don't want to, and say, but, but I love God. It's a, it's a really crazy thing right now that, that a lot of these, these, these movements that we're seeing of the KKK reemerging, and a lot of them are claiming to be Christ followers. It is bizarre. It is bizarre, and we have to stand against that. We have to stand against anybody claiming that, that this race is better on whatever side, that this is better as a people of faith who want to see the powerful waterfall of the kingdom of God affect change in our world and bring reconciliation between peoples and reconciliation between people and God. That's the movement we're caught up in, this beautiful movement of powerful love of God flowing out like a waterfall. And so one commentator says, we know God in the fullest, most authentic sense only when, and this, this just stuck out to me again, we can know God in the fullest and most authentic sense only when the love of God is flowing through us. Love is not a concept known abstractly. This stuff he's talking about isn't just a nice idea. We're not talking about bachelor or bachelorette love here. You know, I'm kind of falling in love with this person after one date. That's not what we're talking about. Eh, no, I'm kind of falling out of love with this person. It's not what we're talking. He's talking about something that has to be practiced, something that has to be lived, something that has to be shown. And the example of love that we're given here is the ultimate example of Jesus laying his life down for us. As this author says, he came and laid his life down for us when we were unlovely, unresponsive, unworthy uninterested. Yet he came and laid his life down. He says finally, to know the love of God is to live the love of God. I love that phrase. To know the love of God, to truly know God and know his love is to live that love, demonstrate that love in our interactions every day with people, with each other, God is love and he demonstrates his love for us by loving us when we were unlovely, unresponsive, and uninterested. 
And I think it turns out that that's also the starting place. If we are to step forward and thrive as a community of faith, pouring out the love of God like a waterfall into our community, we have to wrap our mind around these things and be willing to love in a radical way, in a way that includes even loving our enemies, loving those who are not like us, those who we might even feel are a threat to us. That is the radical love of Jesus. How do we then, Simi Covenant Church, this local expression of the body of Christ that's been around for 53 years now, how do we do this in our community? I want to kind of conclude by reading some things that I shared with you almost a year ago about where I think we are going and how we can do this here in our community right now. We're starting this new school year. And I don't know about you, but most of my life doesn't operate uh, on a calendar year. Most of my life revolves around my kids going to school, programming at the church starting up in the fall. And so it almost seems like this is a more appropriate time to kind of reassess for all of us, what do I want to be involved with? How do I want to express this love of God that John is talking about? How do I want to participate in that here in this community right now? How do I want to do that in this next year? What would that look like for me to to, to really take on this, in this world we are like Jesus? Again, high responsibility, high call. Who among us can answer that call? But can we try? I don't know how many times I've, I've been amongst uh, church people over my, my years of growing up in the church and, and been uh, in the midst of a Bible study on something like this, and it's like, well, we can't do that. So we just kind of figure out a way to kind of get around that text. The, the favorite one, which you know, I kind of danced around preaching on, it is the, uh, the, not the parable, but the, um, the rich young ruler. You know, Jesus says, sell it all, give it to the poor. And it's like, surely he didn't mean that. Uh-uh. He kind of meant like give up some of the stuff that you can probably afford to part with. I mean, I've been a a lot of conversations that have been like, no, 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 he didn't mean everything. He didn't mean everything. So this text, in this world, he's trying to call his community to be like Jesus in this world, demonstrating this love, this radical, sacrificial love of God to the people around them. People who, again, would have been pressing in on them, would have have been extreme pressure for them not to follow Jesus. Persecution was happening in the early church in a real way, and yet these people were trying to hang on to this beautiful gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. They believed it so strongly they were willing to die for it. So what do we do with all this? I don't know if you remember almost a year ago me sharing this story. I love this story, so I'm going to tell it again. I think I told it twice a year ago, but I'm going to tell it again just to remind you. There's a story of this guy trying to sell canoes. He's trying to sell canoes. He needs canoes for his camp. And so he's going around doing the fundraising pitches to sell the canoes, right? And, he, and just nobody wants to buy the canoes. Nobody's donating money to the cause. And he's thinking that all these people just hate kids. You know, they just hate kids. And they don't care if kids go to camp. And they don't care if kids go on this, on this great adventure in the canoe. And a friend says, what, what's, tell me about, you know, why you need these canoes so bad. And he describes this, you know, we get these kids from the city and we get them out into into the wilderness and they get in this canoe and they're on the river. They're on the babbling brook. And then eventually it opens up and you can hear something in the distance and there's this amazing waterfall. And it's at this moment in the week that these kids are at camp where it kind of softens their hearts. 
And they start to kind of open up, and they're in awe of this waterfall. They've never seen something like this. And they start sharing with their counselors and their leaders, and they have this time at the waterfall to talk about life and faith, and it's, we've got to get these kids to the waterfall. And the friend says, quit selling the canoes, sell the waterfall. Which makes me think, as I shared with you a year ago, what is this waterfall? What does it look like for us? See, I think each body of Christ, each local expression of the body of Christ has something unique about it. We all have the same overall mission. We want to we make disciples. We want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to we do all those things. Everybody wants to do that, but each congregation has a unique makeup of people who are there, and, and that brings something unique. And for 53 years, this church has been kind of cultivating a DNA. And what is that? What's best about us? What is the waterfall thing? I may mean, want to say that the canoes are Jesus and everybody needs the Jesus. Don't go there with the metaphor. Not that far. But what is our waterfall? What is the thing where we're like, man, through us, we are uniquely poised to reach who? To do what? What is that thing? And I started kind of scratching the surface of this a year ago. And I had some great conversations with some folks who have been around here a long time. And then I came across an article from the 50th anniversary celebration of this church. And and some quotes stood out to me. I asked some people on staff, read this article, what stands out? And some quotes from some of you here, some uh, some past pastors, some past families that attended here. Listen to these quotes. This is a great place to come to love other people, but also to know that you are loved. And that combination is powerful. It lends itself to feeling like home. So this place gets presented as, this is my home. This is my family. Another person said, everybody was family. I was 11 when I started coming to the church. I went away to college, but this was home. All the adults were all the kids' parents, and all the kids were everybody's kids. It was a special place to be. Finally, somebody said, This church helped raise me and raise my kids and tolerated me when I was just a young, crazy kid myself. Family. Home. A place where 11-year-olds know they are loved, where college kids know they can come home, where parents get help raising kids, where people know they are both loved and a place where we provide opportunities to extend love, radical love of Jesus. In this world, we are like Jesus. And I hope, my hope is reading this, that in our DNA, I think, I think, is the radical love of Jesus. This outpouring of sacrificial love, this sense that like we want to help each other raise our kids. We want to do that together. We know we need each other. Our world increasingly increasingly our world is, you just do it on your own. I've got this. I don't need help until I really need help. And so we have a chance here. We have a chance as we join our streams together to experience the powerful waterfall of doing things that that culture now is not necessarily doing, where people are pulling away from each other. I have some in-laws that don't necessarily attend church that much. And they have some, some connections, but mostly their, their connections are family. The, the blood family. There's not, there's not this sense that there's a whole tribe around them willing to support them. The church can be 
this beautiful, amazing family where we come alongside each other. It can be that way. I've talked to some people recently who have lost loved ones in this church and they said the only reason I'm able to continue is because people have come around me and they're just, they're not leaving me alone. You know how lonely it can be. I can't even imagine how lonely it can be to have lost a loved one, lost your spouse of, of 50 years, of 40 years, and be in that place where you go, what do I do now? But the church can come alongside and say, let's keep going together. You know, parenting can be lonely, right? You can feel like you're just a, a hot mess. What am I doing? I am certainly messing these kids up for years to come. Holy cow. But we get to come alongside of each other, and there's people in this room who have done it well and can give wisdom, and there's people who have made mistakes, and you say, this is what I've learned. It's an amazing thing. We have this chance through this 53-year-old local expression of the body of Christ to join our little babbling brooks together, become a spectacular waterfall, spreading the love of Jesus to our friends, our co-workers, our classmates, our neighbors, even to the ends of the earth as we participate in missions. We have an opportunity to do big things together. I want to conclude just by reading to you what I said a year ago. and What I think is still true. And what gets me excited about being here. He said, I have to admit I'm encouraged these days. I see a groundswell of young families seeking God's will. I get to have some really great conversations with young families who are really seeking God's will, asking questions about how do I pass faith on to my children? How do I help my children find Jesus? How do we grow in this faith? I continue to see that. I see a group of, of younger people that's growing in our church who are pursuing Christ, serving at a high capacity in the church, in the community. This is the groundswell that will have the potential for years to come to keep the waterfall flowing that many of you started. And I believe that we, See Me Covenant, are uniquely poised to keep the waterfall flowing because we have an asset that is easily overlooked and in some circles, not seen as an asset. We have all the generations. Some people don't see that as an asset. I have talked to pastors who are like, oh man, if I, if I could just not have to visit people in the hospital. They don't see it as an asset. But we have young and old and everything in between. Sitting in these pews are again those who have sought the will of the Lord for many years and those who have been seeking for a short while. How do we, the question is, how do we get people together to share wisdom and share faith, share what we've learned? We have those who can offer wisdom, and we have those who offer energy. And I am encouraged. See, we all have a role to play in keeping Simi Covenant's waterfall flowing. If we can get engaged people from every generation and keep passing on the value of community, Christ-centered community. We don't learn the, to discern the will of God in a vacuum. We don't learn to follow Jesus on our own. We need each other when our faith is lacking. Have you been in a place where you're like, I just don't even know what I think about Jesus these days. I've talked to people over the course of their lifetime who have felt like, their relationship with Jesus is estranged due to things that have happened in their life and they're just wondering, but their community of friends, sometimes their small group, sometimes people in this place have come alongside other people and said, I can have faith for you. Don't quit just yet. Keep coming. 
The church is a beautiful place for that. It's a way to keep that babbling brook connected when they want to go off on their own and to still be part of the waterfall. See, we need each other when our faith is on fire too because you need somebody to share it with. Tell them what God is doing in your life and we need those people to say, man, it's amazing what God is doing. We can encourage each other. We need those who have walked through pain, who have experienced joy. We need those who are celebrating and those who are mourning. We need people to walk alongside each other when there's tough decisions to be made about work, relationships, children, finances. We need people who can walk alongside, give advice when advice is sought, and provide a listening ear when all that is needed is a listening ear. My mentor and my former senior pastor, he has this way uh, he found with his own adult children by making some mistakes. Uh, So he would often say, so we, we still connect through FaceTime. He lives in Sweden now. And we connect over FaceTime once a month. And he has, I love this. We'll be talking and I'll be like sharing some of the things that I'm trying, you know, in ministry and in life and asking. And he has this phrase, he'll say, are you, are you, are you using me as a sounding board or are you looking for advice? I really like that. He kind of opens the door of like, are you looking for advice? So he doesn't want to give advice if I'm just kind of like, hey, I just want to vent for a little bit. It's a great thing that he's learned like sometimes you just need that listening ear and other times you're looking for wisdom looking for advice a year ago i wrote we are poised for good things see me covenant story has a bright future and i don't want you to miss it i don't want us to get distracted by other concerns in the life of the church by other stuff and get distracted and lose sight of our opportunity to support and care for people and continue this waterfall that is this church is a family, a home, a place where the radical love of Jesus is extended to anyone who enters these doors. See, this is where life is found. And we're going to keep talking about this over the next few weeks. Vitality in the church. Life in the church. Churches that are just on fire and electric. If you've been a part of it before, you know this is true. It's found when people are coming to know Jesus. You're like, man, people are coming to know Jesus through this place. Something good is happening. Where people are deepening their trust in Him. They're living sacrificially, generously, humbly. This is where it's at. And so the question that we all have to ask ourselves as we begin this fall is, what am I willing to do? Where do I need to join my babbling brook to keep the waterfall flowing? Maybe it's serving in kids' ministry, youth ministry, grow group ministry. That's what we call our small groups here. We're going to be kicking those off again in the next couple of weeks. Maybe it's time to join one of those. Maybe it's time. I talked to a, a member of our congregation who said, man, years ago I grabbed some people who were not real connected I thought that they were kind of in my sphere of influence, but not real connected to the church, and I grabbed them, and we started something that went on for 15 years, and now we're best friends. Maybe that's you. You're like, yeah, I'm not, I feel like I could step out, and I'm not feeling that connected, and I see these people, and maybe you can grab some of them, and you can start something amazing, join your babbling brooks together, and keep the waterfall going. We all have a role to play. So what will you do? What will I do? What can we do together is the point to keep the waterfall going. For in this world, we are like Jesus. Hang on to that. In this world, 
we are like Jesus, with an opportunity to extend the love of God to each other and to all we encounter and influence in this world. Would you pray with me? Lord, if this text is a test, a question of how we will live the love of God, Lord, we need your guidance. We need your Spirit's guidance in our conversations each and every day. We need your Spirit's guidance in the things we consume on TV, the things we consume on social media, Lord. We need, Lord, if we are to represent you, we need your Spirit's discernment. For this is a messy world we live in. Help us, Lord, if this text is a test to be that beloved community that pours out the love of Jesus to anyone and everyone whom we encounter. God, we admit, confess that we cannot do this on our own, but we can do it through your power at work within us. And so we ask, Lord, for that transformation of the heart that your spirit brings. God, come and invade our lives that we might be more like Jesus in this world. Help us, God, through the ministries of this church. Help this church, this 53-year-old church that you have faithfully, Lord, faithfully kept going. Help us to embody your love, embody your grace, embody your truth in this community. Help us, God, to be that waterfall of love and grace. God, that just overwhelms people with who you are, that they might come to know you and grow in their faith in you. Help us, God, to be your people, your sons and daughters, to be good, faithful representatives of all that you are for us in this world. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for our closing song.